When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Before we get into the gigantic mess that is Urban Meyer and Matt Nagy doing quite an about face, lots of great games to get to, including the Rams um, and the Seahawks. Mike, what's the feedback been after your rather honest and, as always, blunt assessment of the many saints of Newark? I I haven't heard too much. I got a lot of texts from friends that have said that they agreed with me. Uh, You know, uh, that it, it was, I think it was disappointing. I think that, you know, the more I thought about it after Monday's pod, you know, one thing we've always counted on with David Chase is, is being the master of the details, being the master of making sure that there wasn't any, you didn't ask questions. You asked questions, where did the Russian go, right? You asked questions that he didn't, he didn't ever, he never ends things, right? But you never thought that, you know, it was just, it didn't make sense. Driving a car up in the middle of a riot with your hood down, that didn't make sense, right? You know, the the, the girl admitting that she slept with the guy doesn't make sense. Like, we never really have had a time where nothing made sense with Chase. And I think that was the most startling thing for me. And I got to be honest, I have listened to Astro Weeks about 800 times. I never even knew that song. I never even knew that song until they started playing it there. Have you been to Bears Seafood House? I think they call it it's Bears or something like that. I haven't. I mean, I got to go. It's just unbelievable. I mean, that's that that scenery of going there in the winter was just incredible. How I mean, think about how how hard that must have been to film that scene in the dead. That water had to be 45 degrees. Oh my god. Yeah. Frightening. Frighteningly cold. Uh, all right, that's the uh, as many states of Newark stuff because obviously a lot of us were uh, reacting to that over the last few days and a ton of people reacting to Urban Meyer. I mean, this is, as you mentioned, the Van Morrison song. If we had a, a theme song for Urban Meyer right now, it'd be Send In The Clowns. Like, this is an absolute clown show. What is going on right now? Urban Meyer, who is supposed to be the head coach, the face of integrity. How about this story? The day after Jacksonville's Thursday night loss Cincinnati, instead of going back to Jacksonville, he goes to Columbus, Ohio. Of course, former coach, Ohio State, right? Ohio Ties, we got that. Have a few drinks at his restaurant. And then video surface of dancing with inappropriately touching a young woman there. And I'm like, hang on a second. It's one thing if you're there, whatever, he's checking out some girls. Again, I'm not going to speak to every person's morality. But literally, she's like grinding up on the guy. He's touching her. I'm like, oh, man. You know this is going to be trouble when the video comes out. Urban Meyer apologizes on Monday, right? Says this is stupid. Let's move on. Again, Wednesday, apologize. Jags owner Shad Khan called Meyer's actions inexcusable. He needs to regain the team's trust and respect. You tweeted earlier, which I immediately retweeted, there are some meetings happening behind the scenes in Jacksonville about Meyer's future. I can't imagine, Mike, they'd fire him for this reason. How much money would they have to pay? Like, if I'm Shot Khan, I'm like, wait, I just hired you, and I'm pretty sure you're the wrong guy. Like, the team stinks. We're winless so far. It's going to be a bad hire, but I have to pay you how much money? 
So that, that's my first thought. I, I always think of owners and money and just how much do I have to make to make this go away? Like, like, sorry, Urban, you have to deal with this. But if the situation is so tenuous and it's literally the entire room is saying, hey, man, this guy sucks. Nobody wants to play for him. What do you do? What are you hearing? You know, it, it, it's so I got a text. Uh, uh, what day was it? Monday, Monday morning from somebody that, you know, don't be surprised if, you know, Urban decides to have a sabbatical after the bye week that this is probably not going to last. And it was from somebody inside Jacksonville. Then I got a text from somebody inside Jacksonville that Urban was really walking around the building feeling like they were going to try to get him on cause. And they were having a bunch of closed doors meetings. So I didn't really want to tweet out that they're trying to fire Urban for cause because I, I don't have that proven. I still don't have that proven. But that was what I was led to believe. But I did what I tweeted out was what was true, was they were having a bunch of closed-door meetings. Now, what were those closed-door meetings about? Everybody can deny it and say, well, we were talking about how to manage the situation. Okay, great. That's fine. I get that. You know, But there is a lot of closed-door meetings about, can they fire him for cause? Is this a fireable offense for cause? And I don't know if it is or not. I think it's between Urban and his wife. I, I don't think, to me, that issue of him being at the bar is between his family. And I, and I have no right to talk about that. However, what, I, what we do know in terms of leadership, in terms of being a head coach, in terms of being the guy in charge, that the, he did not fly back with his team, to me, is a complete violation, a complete violation of what a head coach is supposed to do. It's a complete violation of somebody who thinks he understands leadership. Because remember, when he was at Fox, you know, he was talking on air about, you know, what would you do? They asked him, they had a question. It's still out there, Fox on, and we wrote about it for the Daily Coach. You know, Coach Meyer breaks down three criteria every struggling team needs to examine. That's what he did. He broke it down. November 14, 2020, he was on the air breaking this down. Trust issues dysfunction environment, and selfishness. All those three things he, he demonstrated at the highest level. When he decided to stay and drive to Columbus and get into his bed nice and cozy and fall asleep before the plane landed back in Jacksonville, when he decided to just abandon his team and go back. And then what makes matters worse, you talk about selfishness, then he blames it on Trent Balky. He says, he, I, he spoke way in advance to Trent Balky about not flying back with the team after the Cincinnati game and thought at the time, this is a chance for everybody to clear their head, including myself. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? If Trent Balky signed off on that, then Trent Balky's never been in the league because all of us, every one of us have, every one of us has understand that you go down as a team, you come back as a team. The number one thing every coaching staff talks about at the beginning of the season is, look, fellas, when we go on the road, nobody stays. Everybody comes back. There's no exceptions. Now, sometimes guys get to stay because of family issues or something like that. Well, and you get that. The head coach is always on the plane coming home. Always, 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 always. And for him to, to basically abandon his team, they suffered a tremendously tough loss. He could have got on that plane, AD. He could have walked around the plane, talked to his team leaders, right? He told them, hey, look, guys, we're close. We're really close. We're a couple of plays away from breaking through here. Let's just be patient. Let's come together. Tomorrow we'll have a meeting. We'll just talk about it. And then you guys can have a couple of days off. 
No, he became selfish because it was travel. Why not fly back with the team? You make 12 million a year, charter a plane the next day to fly back to Columbus and then clear your head there. Like, why would you do that? Like, and you're talking about, you know, leadership. This is something, you know, you understand leadership. There's no trust. There has been no trust in his behavior down there. He acts as if he's still the head coach at Ohio State, that he can do whatever he wants and the kids have to buy in. This is the National Football League. That doesn't work that way, right? I'll sign Tim Tebow because I love Tim. I love Tim. I love Tim, even though there's zero chance, zero, zero point zero chance that he was ever going to make the team. But I owe it to Timmy because what he did for me at Florida. Meanwhile, did he think about what was going to happen to all the other players on the team when he did that? How it looked for him? Of course he didn't because he's selfish. He's self-indulgent. And to me, that's the story, AD. That's the biggest story about this is a lesson in leadership. And if anybody is a young coach listening to this, you know, there, when you have an opportunity, when your team is down, you must, you must stand in front of them. When your team is successful, you must stand behind them and let them take the glory. As a leader, you must stand in front of them when it's going bad. This guy, he abandons it. I'll, t- I'll just go back up to Columbus. Somebody will drive me back to Columbus. And then, then the next night, I'll just clear my head. I want to see my grand. I mean, like, seriously, like, how is that going to clear your head? Clear your head is get it back to work. And like you said, I, I get it. Guy wants to have a few drinks, right? Blow off a little steam, bad loss. I get all that. But like you said, it's a real simple way that you could have gone about it. In, in this day and age, how many coaches, Mike, tell their players, hey, be careful, all right? When you go out, everyone's got a camera now. This is a different world we live in, okay? People are waiting to catch you. They're waiting to see you do something you shouldn't be doing, right? Gotcha. Oh, I saw you doing this. Boom, I'm going to post this. I'm going to put this on TMZ Sports. Like, be smart. Think before you act. You know, be, be wise in your decision making all these things coaches tell players and then this guy does this and like you're already off to a horrible start and like this is like you said the easiest way to lose respect if the team stinks but you're owning up to it you're being accountable hey man we'll get through it be you know one for all all for one but when you're ditching the team to do this and then this happens and it's horrible i honestly and and here's the thing mike there are people who are laughing this up why why? Because Urban Meyer's come across, as you said, as this guy who's above the law. Again, if he was some sort of good dude that everyone genuinely felt for, no. But Urban Meyer's made a career of coming across as being a dictatorial, arrogant presence. And he has been successful in college football, of course. But he's come across as a guy who thinks he's above the law. He's a guy who says, I got to step away from my family and my health issues. And then boom, he's at Ohio State. And then the second he gets a better job, he's gone. And he's a carpetbagger. That's the word for it, carpetbagger. Oh, USC jobs available? Maybe I'll just get myself fired and go over there. And so that's why people are so cynical about this because of the persona, because of the message that he has always thrown out there. That's why everybody who is an Urban Meyer's hater is relishing this right now. You know, it's, it's, and it's not a question of being an Urban Meyer hater for me. I don't really know Urban, you know, but, but I think that, that the problem is you can't have this you can't have this entitlement that he just demonstrates. You know, there's a great story. You know, this is true. I'm, I'm going to share it. You know, Urban was all about five stars at, at Ohio State. And he loved Haskins. He loved Haskins. And he never gave Joe Burrow a chance at Ohio State. Never. Never. Joe Burrow was a three-star athlete and never thought he was good enough. In fact, it was so bad. It was so bad that he actually, there was a scrimmage that Joe Burrow wasn't, didn't wear a red shirt. They were live on Joe Burrow. 
And so when Joe Burrow, he didn't say shit. He kept his mouth shut. He kept everything. He just, okay. He was going to go to Tennessee if she, she, when Shiano was going to get the job there until they, till all the, till social media blew that up. And then he went to LSU. Then he went to LSU. Like the family knows. Like I saw him before the game talking over. Burrow knows. Burrow knows there's no authentic leadership. He's a, he tries to become across as a dictator. Like I'm going to do whatever I want to do, you know? And, and, and it's really, really, it, it becomes challenging as a leader when you don't ever feel that you can understand what's going on in the locker room. I mean, they don't respect him. We, we look at him at like, you know, my, Silver said one player told him, we look at him at like, what WTF? Right when everybody left, they started dying. Like he, he has no credibility because when you're a dictator and you start to apologize, look, it's, it's the, he's violated every rule of leadership you can violate. And one of them is the first rule we violated was management of attention. He never went down there with a plan. You know, he hires the strength coach from Iowa who had, who had some real issues at Iowa. They had to fire him. He's, Kirk Ferenc is best. Kirk had to fire him. He hires him for a day or two, and then they got to fire him, right? And then he brings Tim Tebow in. Like, and you've got players complaining about him all the time. I mean, if you're Shaq Khan, you, you tried to do the right thing, but you didn't do your homework. Like this guy's not, he's not, he's not an NFL type head coach. Then the staff he put together, I mean, the staff he put together has every, had everybody in the league scratching their heads. Everybody in the league was great. It's, it's not that they're bad coaches. It's just that it doesn't blend. There's no philosophy of it. There's nothing that makes sense there. And he's got Balky, who should be advising him. But but let's face it, he said I talked to Balky. This is how much of a how much of a, a of a, an excuse maker he is at no accountability. I asked Balky if it was okay. Balky works for you, asshole. Balky works for you. You don't work. You have it in your contract that Balky works for you. What do you think Balky's going to say? Oh no, Urban, you get your ass back on that plane. Come on. I mean, it's it's really bad. And, and and I just think to me, instead of looking at it in a way to where making fun of it, I think young coaches should look at it as a way of what not to do if you get a job. He went down there. He didn't have a plan. He doesn't know what he wants to do with the quarterback. He had no plan for the quarterback. He had no plan for team building. It takes us, it takes, he's got a really good rusher in Robinson, and he ends up, and he ends up taking another one at the bottom of the first round in ATN. Good player. But like, really, how are we going to, how are we going to use them all, right? Okay. Does he have a plan for the offensive line? He keeps George Warhop as his offensive line coach. Did he watch the offensive line play the last three years in Jacksonville? Did he watch that? Maybe they need a fresh start. Maybe they need to get away from George Warhop because what happened is you kept Warhop and George might be a great coach, you know, but he's going to play the same guys he had because it's his line. You're not walking in there telling George Warhop what to do with the line. He, he coached that line for three years. He's built this. This is the line he wants. It's not good enough, but this is the line he wants. So what are you going to do? Like he went down there, management of attention, no plan. Can't explain the plan. Now he's management of trust. When I did that project for the Rams, the coaches that are the most successful have three of the four things of leadership. They have management of attention. They have a plan. Management of meeting, they can explain the plan. Management of trust, the players trust them. Most of the ones that fail, the, the one area they're deficient is management of self. They don't want to hear it. However, however, if you're three out of the four, you're going to be successful. If you only have two, you're never going to win, ever. You're never going to sustain excellence. And that's the case. Ultimately, I don't think he's fired yet because I just think he's owed way too much money. But like you said, Mike, if they're investigating for cause, that changes things, right? 
Yeah, I mean, they're going to. I mean, at some point, this is going to. Now, everybody says, well, Urban's going to go to USC. Well, the woman, the, the president of USC is a woman. How do you think this is going to go over there? That's a great point. Everyone keeps thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's already a fait accompli. Oh, really? Okay, we'll see how that goes. Um, let's talk about another head coach who's just, just mind-numbing. Uh, throughout the entire offseason, all the way through this past weekend, Matt Nagy was so steadfast. Andy Dalton's a starting quarterback of the Bears. We've talked about this a lot on the GM Shuffle. You and I both said eventually Justin Fields will be the guy, whether it's week six or week eight or next year. Like it, Dalton's just a, a caretaker for now. And even after Justin Fields struggled mightily and you got sacked nine times and you can blame the offensive line, we all kind of said, well, but eventually it's going to be Justin Fields' team. And there's Nagy going, no, no, no. When Andy's healthy, he's the guy. No, no, he's our guy. On Monday, he said, when Andy's healthy, he's still our starter. Justin is the two. That's what it's this Monday. And then Wednesday, he said, we've made the decision to move with Justin as the starter. After this past weekend with the growth we saw, the discussions we had were able to go in this direction. How the hell did he change his mind in two days, Mike? I mean, he is, look, you know, when you watch Telemundo, right, they have the weather girl there. She's in like the tightest dress you could possibly get. She's oh, yeah. absolutely half naked on there. <laughs> and you don't mind listening to her to give you the weather, even though she's not right, right? Right. Well, Nagy's the opposite. He's like, he's the worst weather person of all. I mean, he's never right. And you don't want to look at him. Like there's nothing you're getting out of it, right? I mean, he's the worst forecaster of all time. You know, like if, again, let, let's not make, let, let's not make this personal. Let's just examine the leadership traits of Matt Nagy. He doesn't have any. He doesn't have a plan. Never had a plan for fields. Doesn't have a plan for the Bears. You know, Brendan Staley was on, was, was, they were asking him about the running game. And here's Brendan Staley, who I just, you know, said, hey, look, I understand the running game is, is not pretty. It's not sexy. And I get the analytical people that think you should throw the ball. But the running game brings toughness to your team. And you need a team with toughness. Great, great, great way to explain the run game. The running game also helps you pace games. Nagy refuses to run the ball most of his career, right? I mean, got no leadership. The longer the team has gone, they've absorbed his personality, which is exactly what you don't want to do. So he doesn't have a plan. He really can't explain his plan. He's inconsistent with his decision-making. And other than that, and then yet last week after the game, he's like, well, you know, uh, yeah, I, I didn't call the plays, but it's still my offense. Like now he's trying to grab credit for it. Like seriously, like, are, are you kidding me? Are, are you kidding me? I mean, look, I said this from the beginning, have a plan for Justin Fields, right? Do I think Justin Fields is good enough to be the starting quarterback on the Bears? No, I don't. I think he's going to take some time to grow, but at least have a plan to allow him to grow. He's been sacked 12 times already, right? I mean, even though he can move, he's been sacked 12 times, which tells you he holds the ball, which is natural for young players, right? But if you have no plan to play him, it's going to be really challenging. And now all of a sudden he does a 360. All of a sudden it's it's supposed to snow and now it's a 70 degree day. I mean, what kind of weatherman are you, Matt? Like, seriously, your forecasting is so screwed up. Like, how do you have any faith? How do you stand in front of your team and say this and announce that Fields, how does, okay, let's look at it that way, AD. How does he walk in front of his team and say, Fields is the starter? He's been saying all along that it's Andy Dalton's the starter. How do you think the team trusts him after he says this? I mean, we're laughing at it on the outside. What do you think those guys in the locker room are doing? Exactly. We're laughing right now how fraudulent he is inside the room. They, they must have no respect for him. They all know. Listen, people are smarter than you realize. Like Dylan once said, you don't need to be a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. 
Everybody in that room knows this guy's dead man walking. So they probably just roll their eyes, go, okay, whatever, coach. He's not going to be here anyways. They're going to outlast him. So just let's just get through the season somehow. You know, it's just, I, I, to me, this is, Matt Nagy's a perfect example of a guy who wasn't ready to be a head coach. And then he didn't have anybody helping him become a head coach on the job. And I think that, I think that as we go on in this, as we move forward in this, you know, these are lessons to learn. Like if Matt Nagy, when he gets fired, he should write down everything that's happened and try to understand where it went wrong and how could he become a better coach? Because what's really happened to him, this is exactly one of my biggest pet peeves in sports is people pay 250000 300000 for these search firms, right? They spend all this money for search firms and then they hire the coach and the co- they spend no money for anybody to help on the coach. Matt Nagy needed a mentor. More than anything, he needed a mentor, somebody he trusted, somebody who could tell him what he needed to do, how he could change and develop as a coach. He saw his job as a play caller. He never saw his job as a leader. And, and that's the issue. And, and, and I think as young coaches listen to this pod, I think it's easy to make fun of Matt, but I think the better part we could all do is learn from it. Learn from it. Like what went wrong? How did it go wrong? You know, I can remember talking to uh, Paul Hackett in 1987 and he said he was trying to get a head coaching job in the NFL and and he uh, and he's like look I've researched all these jobs and you know what I've learned is there were four head coaches hired at one year I think it was 84 you know Mike Mike Dicka, Dan Reeves, Dan Henning and John Makovic four of the brightest minds in all of football at that time okay really good assistants, you know, guys had pedigree, you know, Henning was with Gibbs, Reeves was in, you know, Reeves was with, with Landry, Dicka was with Landry, you know, and Makovic had this great reputation for being this incredible thinker. And so they all get head coaches at the same job. When, when Dicka goes to Chicago, he's got Buddy Ryan sitting there. So he kind of has his defense set. When Reeves goes to Denver, he has, he has uh, Joe Collier set, got his defense. Henning goes to Atlanta, can't get the defense fixed. Makovic goes to Kansas City, hires Bud Carson. It doesn't really work because Bud doesn't really think he knows anything about football, so Bud doesn't really like him, and it falls apart. The point here is you've got to have a plan when you come in. you got to have a plan, and Matt really didn't have a plan. He, they, kept, they kept Fangio, and when he was had the most success, it was when Fangio was there. Ever since Fangio's left, this thing has fallen apart because Fangio was the one holding it together because Fangio had leadership. Fangio had toughness. Now, you can say Fangio's not a great head coach. We can have that debate. That's fine. But the reality of it is, is Fangio held this program together. When Fangio left, it crumbled. And I think ultimately, Matt Nagy will be that guy. You say, hey, good coordinator, but as a head coach, it ain't going to wash. There's been many guys when I'm unable to make that jump. Uh, let's do a couple more stories and we'll get to some games. The Pats traded all pro cornerback Stephon Gilmore. Surprising move. They're releasing the 2019 Defensive Player of the Year. That was Wednesday morning. Then multiple teams reached out, ended up with the Panthers in exchange for a six-round pick. Gilmore hadn't played for the Patriots this year, physically unable to perform list. The pup list after undergoing surgery for a quad injury suffered last season. Final season of a five-year, $65 million contract. It looks like for the Patriots, Mike, they figured, you know what? Can't get a new deal on him. We'll see ya. But Patriots fans are upset that all they got was a sixth-round pick for a player they believe is one of the best corners in the league. What do you think? Well, I mean, literally, seriously, if they could only get a six, do you think they took the worst offer? I mean, how stupid are people? <laughs> I mean, how stupid are fucking people? Really? They got a six. Like, like that's all they could have gotten. Nobody was going to. Here's the problem. 
Nobody was going to take on the contract, have to pay a high draft pick for the chance he may not be back, right? So there was there were a couple teams interested, Green Bay and 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 the and the Panthers had the cap room. A lot of teams don't have the cap room to take on the salary. If they would have made him a free agent, there was a lot of teams that would have been interested, but they didn't have the cap room to go get him. So Carolina made the move. If he's healthy, that's great. It's a good move for Carolina. The kids from Rock Hill. But the fact that you want to criticize the Patriots for only getting a six, trust me, if they could have gotten more, they would have. It wasn't like they were going to not trade him to somebody. So that's ridiculous. I think the question really comes down to how healthy is he? He wants $15 million a year. Can he get $15 million a year? It's going to be hard. How good is he right now? Last year, it wasn't a great year for him. He got hurt. But here's what I do know. He went to the right team. And here's why. Because Stefan Gilmore is a corner that needs to match up to a receiver. He is not a corner that can play multiple for multiple coverages. He's not, let's play two here, let's play three here, let's play cover seven here. He's a corner that's at his best when he's impressed. And he, you got him. Stefan, you got him. And he'll do a hell of a job on that. And Carolina will do that with him. And now Carolina, after they lose J.C. Horn, they have Jackson, they have C.J. Henderson, and now they come in with Gilmore if they can get him healthy. I think that's the biggest thing. Carolina clearly in win-now mode. I hope they bounce back after the loss to the Cowboys. Speaking of Dallas, the Cowboys released former Pro Bowl linebacker Jalen Smith, despite being on the hook for his full $7.2 million base salary this season. Before this season's opener, Smith has started every game he played from 2018 to 2020, had recorded 120 tackles in each of the past three seasons. Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy said it wasn't an easy decision. He's played excellent football here for a long time. Smith appears to be ahead of the Packers. A deal should be done soon. Micah Parsons has been great so far for the Cowboys. But what do you think of the fact that Smith, they just figured he was expendable? Well, I mean, if you just watch the tape, he wasn't running. He couldn't run. I mean, he can't run. And every time he was on the field, they were slow. And I think they just got in. I mean, I don't know why they extended his contract. I really don't. Because I felt like he's had drop leg for a while. I mean, he just doesn't look like he can push off that leg very well. And because of that, it's a real issue. And I, I think to me... I mean, Green Bay will take a look. I mean, they're going to obviously get him on a contract. They're not going to take on the guarantees. But the reality of it is, is I don't know how much football he can really play because when it's when it's the game becomes a space game, he's not at his best. And I think you saw it last year and you see it this year. See what happens there if he can be resuscitated in Green Bay. Coming up next, let's do some games. Huge matchup, NFC West tonight, Rams and Seahawks, plus AFC Championship rematch. And can the Cards look to remain undefeated? Game previews next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's kick it off first with the Rams and Seahawks. That's tonight. If you're listening to the podcast here on Thursday, a key divisional game could impact the NFC playoff picture. I thought Seattle was a critical win. They had their last game, two and three. They'd still be in trouble. And as for the Rams, they've got questions especially trying to bounce back after their first loss. They're favored at minus two and a half Rams on the road. How do you handicap this one, Mike? You know, this is, you know, everybody thinks the Rams are great on defense. And and I think to me, when you really watch the Rams defensively, you know, with the first game of the Bears, where the Bears went up and down the field on them, they haven't been very good. You know, and in my power rankings, I thought this would be an easy game for the Bears. I mean, for the Rams to cover, but I kind of had it as about just where the number is. I mean, the Rams offensively are great. I mean, they're four, they're they're really good, but defensively is where I think there's some liability. They haven't when they can't get pressure, when they can't when they can't dominate the game up front, and that and and Donald can't get going, then it becomes a real issue. And I think that that's really what's been problematic for them. And when you look at them, I mean, look when you look at it, I mean, the the Cardinals move the ball at ease on them. What's remarkable about the Rams this year is the opponents have controlled the football 32, almost 33 minutes in the game. And the Rams have only had the ball 27 minutes on average. And yet they've been able to score 30 points twice, 27 and 20. I mean, they can score without. The biggest issue is the Rams can't stop play run defense. They can't play run defense. So this is going to be a game where Seattle's got to run the ball. They got to control the clock. They can't give the ball back. Seattle's not been as good on third down as they need to be. And the Rams, you know, when you look at the Rams on, on third down, I mean, the Rams allow 50% conversion on third down. I mean, here's a team that's that's built to rush the passer, and they're allowing 50% on third down, which is kind of remarkable. Now, you, these stats go a lot of different ways. Like, for example, the Detroit Lions are one of the best third down teams in all of football. You know why, AD? Because nobody gets a third down against the shitty Lions. They always convert down. They play CFL football against the Lions. They get first downs and two downs, you know? So it's really like, okay, I get that. But for the Rams, I mean, if they're going to be a good enough team, they're going to have to improve defensively. I'm not sure they can. Uh, I would take the Rams in this game just because I think they'll outscore them. 
On the road, always a challenge too. It's Seattle, of course, the 12th man, but Rams right now, looking at the stats, as you said, they are a middle-of-the-pack defense. That's not going to cut it if they have Super Bowl aspirations. Other games to look forward to this weekend, Niners and Cardinals. Who would have thought, by the way, we'd be sitting here in October going, oh yeah, last unbeaten team, the Cardinals. Offense is sick. We all know this. Kyler Murray's been tremendous. He's taken the next step. Their offense, DeAndre Hopkins, their running backs have been good. Their tight ends, offensive line, and their defense, Mike, which as you said with the Rams is a disappointment for me. That's the surprise. With the Cardinals, I knew their offense would be good. I didn't realize their defense was better than I realized. Do they go 5-0 at home against a 2-2 Niners team, especially with Jimmy Garoppolo's health and injury status up in the air? Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the key, right? But here's the problem if you're if you're the if you want to bet the cards here. I mean, the cards are really good. They've been moving the football. They've they've scored 48 points in the second quarter. They've scored 48 points in the third quarter. I mean, they're remarkable. But they give up 5.4 yards a carry. And when you look at the schedule, when you look at this, teams that can really throw the football on them, Minnesota, Tennessee couldn't because they couldn't protect. And then the Rams, they just took control of the game. I mean, they just took control. Where the Cardinals have been great is on third down. And I don't know if Garoppolo can play or not. If it's Trey Lance, I don't see how they're going to move the ball on them. I really don't. I really don't. And I think what you do is oftentimes when you evaluate a defense, for me, like the Patriots haven't forced a fumble all year. Okay, have not forced a fumble all year. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the Cardinals have forced nine and have recovered five. What does that tell us as, as people trying to break teams down? It tells us the Cardinals have really good team speed on defense because they're forcing the ball to come out. The Patriots may not. They haven't forced the ball out yet. So I think that's going to be the key. The key has got to be the, the Niners have got to throw the ball effectively in this game to win. Uh, you can run the ball on them, there's no doubt, but you're going to have to make some big plays to keep up with their offense. Next up, Bills and Chiefs. Buffalo, after a shaky start, apparently now back on track. The three and one. The Chiefs, they needed a win against Philadelphia, and they took care of business in convincing fashion. Just this week, Casey activated Josh Gordon, 53-man roster. Gordon was suspended indefinitely December 2019 for violations of the league's policies on substance abuse and PEDs. Sixth suspension since 2013. He submitted for reinstatement in July. Goodell approved his reinstatement on Monday. Surprised at all by the move, Mike? I mean, he, he hasn't played since 2019. How much is he really going to impact the offense? I don't get it. I don't get it. I, like, I, I don't see where people, where are people in love with, what has he done in the last couple of years that Josh Gordon, I mean, in 2013, sure, I'd love to sign Josh Gordon. Now, I don't think I want to sign Josh Gordon. I mean, it's just, to, to me, it's a headache. So I don't get what he's going to bring to the table for them. You know, he hasn't really been, he has no burst or acceleration. You know, and, and when you look at the Chiefs, I mean, their issues are really not, oh, they can't score points. It's Their issues are they can't stop anybody. Defensively, they're just atrocious. I mean, they're just atrocious. I mean, they can't ever get control of a game with their defense, ever. And it goes in all areas. Uh, so it doesn't make sense. Now, here's the biggest issue in this game for me is when you break these two teams down, Buffalo has been sensational, right? They've been sensational. They've been great all year, and you can't deny it. However, here's the quarterbacks that they've played. Big Ben. They played Tua, and then he got hurt in Brissett. They played Heineke, and they played Davis Mills. How good are they defensively? The last three weeks against these quarterbacks, they've given up 21 points. They've shut out two of the teams. This is going to be a little different of a game. In my power rankings, I have... The, the Bills should be favored in the game. In everybody's power rankings, the Bills should be favored in the game. I mean, they've outscored opponents 134 to 44, right? They convert 50% of their third downs. They only allow 30. But all the numbers you have on the Bills are fraudulent because they haven't played against a good quarterback. 
This will be the test. This will be the test. They give up 5.5 yards per attempt. I mean, and, and the book is saying, the book is saying the Chiefs are a two and a half, three point favorite. So for me, like it's, it's, do you bet the Bills automatically? I'm saying, look, I don't, I think, and Bills fans, I think your team's great. I think they've played really well, but they haven't played a quarterback yet. If you're a better, it's a trap to take the points because I'm not sure how good you are on defense yet. You may be great, but we'll find out after the Mahomes. When this is over with, we'll know where they are. And the Bills are hoping with a win, they might be the favorites in the AFC. Meantime, two three and one teams. This is surprising. The Cincinnati Bengals are three and one, but now you get your test. Now you're at home against the Green Bay Packers who are three and one. I can't imagine the Bengals win this game, Mike. You? You know, that's everybody's first reaction, including mine. So when I run the numbers, I run the numbers every week, and I try not to look at the lines before I run the numbers. And guess what? In my power rankings, the Bengals are a better team. Wow. In my power rankings, the Bengals are the better team. Now, understand, the Bengals have faced, they faced Kirk Cousins, they faced Andy Dalton, they faced Ben Roethlisberger, and they faced a rookie Trevor Lawrence. Okay? Is there any way you could get me to bet Cincinnati? Absolutely no. <laughs> Absolutely not. No chance. No chance. But I, I, when the line came out, I thought it was low. But I could see my line has the Bengals should be favored. I would never play the Bengals. This is where you have to get away from your power rankings a little bit. Only because it can be misleading. It can be really misleading. The Bengals have benefited from a lot of penalties. I mean, there's been 32 penalties called in four games on the opponent for the Bengals. Huge. That's huge, right? That is huge. I mean, they've had one player, Logan Wilson. He's got three interceptions. No one else touches the ball. You know, and they've played really good pass defense. Well, of course they play great pass defense. They haven't played any quarterbacks. I mean, there's no way you're getting me to bet against Aaron Rodgers, but I would say this. I bet it's a close game. I wonder what Big Daddy's going to say about this. Like if the Bengals win. Oh, my God. Uh, well, big no, Big Daddy's headed to Carolina this week. Big Daddy's going to go see Matthew down in Carolina. Uh, he's going to go. His son, his son is in the Army and stationed down there. So he's going to take a road trip, drive down there, hang out with my son, Matthew, and, uh, and go to the Eagle game and just score and score. So I won't, he won't have any real bitches. Of course, it won't take much for him to bitch, but it <laughs> won't really take much. So it'll be fun. It'll be good. He'll be down there with Matthew and hanging out. So we won't, we won't get a big daddy text during the game. Okay. Well, we'll have to wait for the post-game reaction from him uh, Sunday night, perhaps. But it's nice he'll be there with your son. Uh, Panthers, by the way, are taking on the Eagles. One more, Cleveland and the Chargers. How about this? Two three and one teams, and the Chargers are favored minus two. I love Cleveland's defense. They've been stingy. I think Baker Mayfield is a good quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback yet. Speaking of great quarterbacks, I think Justin Herbert is. You have him, Mike, as an early MVP candidate. If the Chargers win, they go four and one. And if the Browns win, I think they're the driver's seat in a tough division. This one feels really big to me. What do your numbers say? My numbers say Cleveland should be favored. And and, and in fairness to Cleveland, they played Kirk Cousins, good player. They held him to seven points. They played Patrick Mahomes. They gave up 33. I mean, so these numbers that you're looking at on Cleveland's defense are real. They play two good quarterbacks. And I don't think Baker's going to play as shitty as he played last week. And the Chargers will have some trouble stopping the run. The Chargers will have some trouble stopping the run. But here's the Browns. Here's why the Browns are good on defense, AD. Because they play less defense. They've only played 25, 39 minutes of defense in this year. Per game. Per game. They've only given up 60 first downs. 
They've only given up 71 pass completions. Now, in fairness, they only have 74. I mean, where they get you is they run the ball so good. They average 5.1 yards a carry. They got two starting running backs that average 5.3 together. And if they could run the ball and run some boots, this is a game where Mayfield's going to have to make some plays in the dropback pass game. He's going to have to do it. And I don't know the health of the left tackle Willis for the for the Browns. You know, they had to put the rookie fourth round pick James Hudson in last week. He got hurt. I would check on that. That's going to be the key component of the game. Here's where I think this game can shift. If the Chargers play from in front, I think they win. If the Chargers have to play from behind, I think the Browns will win. All right, curious to see what happens. They're obviously a very big matchup there. Um, and as I mentioned, Panthers, Eagles also should be fun as Carolina's three and one. Eagles are one and three. Let's get to the mailbag right now. Send your mailbag questions to the GM Shuffle at gmail.com. This is Andrew on Instagram. Hi, guys. Great show. Every week, listener, I have a question about the Hall of Fame. Growing up, Heinz Ward made huge plays and played great all around football. What are your thoughts on the Hall of Fame for players like him? I'm from San Diego, but grew up watching those Steelers-Ravens games with Reed, Suggs, and Lewis, and loved Hines in those games. You know, I, I think this. I think, you know, based on numbers and how other people have gotten in, Andre Reed, Tommy McDonald, I'm right. This is what my book basically is about, the Hall of Fame. I think the problem with the Hall of Fame is there's been no criteria. There's been no standard of excellence. And so every, every player is based on a line item. I can remember... It's a little bit like setting a draft board, right? So in Cleveland in 92, Dom Neely, God rest his soul, he was organizing the draft board for us. He was the director of college scouting. And so, you know, I would come in and we would go and he would, I let him do the board and I would look it over. And, and we set the board based on Chester McLaughlin, who was a dominant player, a dominant player, tremendous talent, but he was an underachiever. He never played well all the time. And so everything we did was predicated off of, off of, of Chester. Everybody, we, was he better than Chester? No. Well, he goes, so the board was, because we started with the wrong pretense, the board was wrong. And so what happens with the Hall of Fame is there's been no standard. So every, Andre Reed gets in because he's got enormous amounts of catches. But when you drove to the stadium, were you scared of Andre Reed beating you? Of course you weren't. I mean, I'm not saying he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, but there should be a standard of it. You know, there should there should be something that you were worried about driving to the game. Did you go and say, I'm taking away Andre Reed in this game? No, of course not. Get, he can have 100 catches. You know, he's not going to beat us. He's going to help them win, but he's not going to beat. He's the guy. It's like going and playing the Chiefs now. If you don't take Tyreek Hill out of the game like the Eagles did, he's going to beat you. He's going to beat you. He's, he's a Hall of Fame. That's what Hall of Fame talent looks like. And I think that's the biggest problem with the Hall. And that's the only way I could answer that question without really studying all the numbers because there's been no standard to set to. That's why it's always so subjective when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Who belongs in Canton? Well, it's open to interpretation. You look at numbers, you look at the eye test, and all of it adds together. Uh, we did our pop culture minute there off the top talking about the many saints of Newark. But just a quick thought, a new James Bond film in theaters this weekend. I'll try to catch that review on Cinefall. Where are you on James Bond, Mike? I don't think we ever discussed. Are you shaken, not stirred? I love James Bond. I go to any one of them. I love them all. I love them all. I think the plots are always good. They're interesting. I love the gadgets, you know, so I'm, I'm always going to watch them. Okay, good. I'll give you my review then uh, of James Bond. No time to die. Daniel Craig, final outing as Bond, his fifth time around. Thanks so much for checking out the GM Shuffle. We'll see what happens with regards to Urban Meyer. Matt Nagy now saying Fields is the guy. We'll be back with you on Monday on The Shuffle. 